Hey, Pregnish listeners, we surveyed almost 1,100 patients to learn why they left their fertility clinics and are launching an amazing new program based on the survey that will reach over 1,000 healthcare providers. Thanks to the support of industry sponsors, Cooper Surgical Fertility and Genomic Solutions, and EMD Serono. This innovative program with 25 top fertility advocates and specialists as speakers has just launched. If you're interested in learning more, taking the free course, or supporting the program, visit PregnantishVerified.com. Welcome back to the Pregnish Podcast. We have launched an entirely new season with incredible, new, stranger-than-fiction, inspiring, empowering, amazing new guests. So if you aren't subscribed, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and stay tuned for an incredible episode ahead. What if my body did nothing wrong? What if I continued to look in the mirror and love my body, even if it didn't do something I, I wanted it to do? Or, you know, what if I love this vessel, even if I learned that it can't bring a baby into the world like I thought it would be able to, you know, really trying to work with these very sort of elemental, basic notions of like, our bodies are not only here to make babies, and we need to love them regardless. Pregnancy Loss Awareness Month is in October, but we all know that this devastating experience affects countless people throughout the year. Some estimate that one in four experience miscarriage, and no matter how common it may be, it's still misunderstood, taboo in some circles, and incredibly painful. I know that my two pregnancy losses after years and years of infertility and IVF were some of the lowest points in my life. And we can't forget the men or others who may not have been carrying the pregnancy, but feel the loss just as deeply. Later on in the show, we'll hear from singer-songwriter Andrea England with a beautiful song about pregnancy loss. It'll bring you all to tears, trust me. But first, we are so lucky to be joined today by Dr. Jessica Zucker, who is an author, public health enthusiast, and psychologist specializing in reproductive and maternal mental health. She also created the popular hashtag, I had a miscarriage campaign, and we'll learn why she felt called to start this movement and how we can better support others and ourselves through this chapter of family building. So Dr. Jessica, I am so happy to have you on the show today. And since on the Pregnant Podcast, we tell the story of people building their families in untraditional ways. We cannot leave out this chapter, this experience, which is common and devastating. And I just wondered, I know you've become a popular, important voice around this topic, but have you always focused on this or was this a recent development in, in your professional career? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm so honored to be here and to connect with your community on this very important topic. And as you said, you know, October is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, but women and families are losing pregnancies year round. So it's really important that we shine a light on this topic that is all too common to ignore. So in answer to your question, I have a background in public health and specialized in reproductive and women's health during that period of my life. And at, at that time in my 20s, I had not in any way been affected by the issues that I, I was interested in pursuing. And then I went on to get my PhD and wanted to sort of marry my background in public health in my clinical practice and focus specifically on these issues. And so there wasn't a personal story behind this originally. 
And then when I was 16 weeks into my second pregnancy, I miscarried while I was home by myself and was coached by my doctor by phone to cut the umbilical cord and promptly began to hemorrhage. So yeah, suffice it to say that though I had specialized in these issues and was all too familiar with the theoretical elements of pregnancy and infant loss, you know, it wasn't until I experienced my own that I really understood firsthand and on a corporeal level just how devastating and lonely and isolating pregnancy loss can be. Of course. And I imagine that while helping people through these experiences and then having your own personal experience, it must have just added such a deeper layer to your understanding. What do you think changed in terms of your practice or your approach? Mm -hmm. Anything? A lot. Yeah. Thank you for this question. It's a good one because I sort of live it still daily. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even though my loss happened in 2012, it feels in a way like yesterday. And because I'm, well, I was going to say I'm sitting across from women and I'm not anymore during COVID, of course, but Mm -hmm. I'm speaking with women day in and day out about their losses. And it, it continues to provoke in me just that felt sense of grief and intense anxiety and and that fear, just remembering so well the fear in my pregnancy after my pregnancy loss, what living every day in a pregnant body after loss felt like. And so when my patients come to me and describe these things, although our stories, of course, have so many unique qualities to them, there, there are these through lines that I can now connect with in a very different way. I don't make the session about me, of course, or my experience. But I think because I write so much on the topic, people are now coming to me because they've read a lot of what I've had to say about it. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it brings a certain level, hopefully, of comfortability for them knowing that I know what it's like to have lived through something this horrible. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad that you mentioned, and I think it's such a a real, raw, honest feeling that just because it was this many years ago that now we've all moved on and you have your family and it's a thing of the Mm -hmm. past, I definitely still have that feeling. I still mourn for the pregnancies I, I lost and who those children would have been. Is there any way Mm -hmm. to ritualize in your experience, again, your professional opinion to ritualize or honor or recognize these losses and the grief? Do you have any suggestions for our listeners who are also holding on to this, whether they are parents yet or not? Mm. Yeah, I think ritualizing and memorializing loss can happen at any time. So it doesn't need to be, you know, within the month or the year or whatever that a loss occurred. I find it kind of fascinating if my loss had happened, you know, just four weeks later, it would have been considered a stillbirth. And Mm. I think I would have been offered very different rituals. So for example, like if I had had a stillbirth, I would have, I think, been offered cremation, or I would have been offered a ceremony or you know, like if I wanted to to have a funeral or things like this. And so I think that for people who miscarry, whether it's in the first or second trimester, it can be very confusing because we there aren't sort of standardized ways that we acknowledge these things in our culture. And so we don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So 
I've interviewed a bunch of people about this and it seems like, you know, a lot of people go on to get tattoos that, you know, having something about the pregnancy or the baby etched into their skin feels really profound to them. People plant trees, people, you know, do things on the anniversary of the lost date or the due date. So yeah, I mean, there, there, there's not one way to do this. And I think that we can do it over time and in whatever way feels resonant for us. I love that. I think that's so true. I remember during one of my losses, and I always say to our audience, even a failed embryo transfer is a deep loss and deep grief. And I, one day upon, it was someone else's suggestion to me. I don't even remember exactly the context, but she said, well, have you thought of lighting a candle for every baby you thought you'd meet through the many years of treatments and trying and losses? And I didn't have enough candles <laughs> at home mm. to light for all those losses over at that point, maybe six years into trying. But nevertheless, I did this exercise in the dark. And with each candle, I just took a moment to honor that this person I never knew, but loved <laughs> and oh, missed. And yeah, and it was so beautiful. And I was bawling and my husband came home and mm. and he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'll tell you later. And he, <laughs> he cried along with me. I mean, we really, you know, it looked really strange when you walked into this ritual room because I didn't even know I was going to do it before I was compelled to do it. But um, it was a really cathartic ritual for me. And Mm. to your point, it may look totally different. Someone else may journal, someone else may plant a tree. Someone else may say, you know, I don't need to do a ritual. It's still in me. And that's obviously fine. Um, Well, and that's what I think is so powerful about October 15th, which is, you know, this remembrance day dedicated to pregnancy and infant loss. And this, this thing called the wave of light. So yeah, I mean, if, if people are called to light a candle on that evening and knowing that you're joined by millions of people around the world doing the same thing, there's something so profoundly meaningful. I think about that because not only are you honoring what you've lost, but you're honoring other people's losses and the fact that you are a part of this very robust community, whether you wish you were or not, you know? Absolutely. How about the people that that I mentioned in the intro, the people kind of left behind, the partners who weren't carrying the pregnancy? I know Mm. um, I obviously used a gestational surrogate to have my baby, and I have friends whose surrogates miscarried their embryos, Mm. and that is devastating. So when you're not physically carrying the pregnancy, do you find those people sometimes left behind, and how can we Mm. involve them and honor them too? Oh, that's an important question that I haven't thought enough about, actually. I mean, I think about the partner, but I haven't been asked about the surrogate losing the pregnancy. Well, that's interesting. So then just, I wonder, does the surrogate then grieve as well? Mm -hmm. Yeah. In my research, and obviously it's case specific, but it's a very complex, complicated thing because everyone's grieving and they they may be grieving very differently, obviously, because it's individual, but it's just a completely Mm. devastating experience for all involved. So I think, I think when you're not, I know as someone who couldn't carry to term and ended up using a gestational carrier that sometimes people forget that we are just as invested in the pregnancy and the baby growing inside the body. 
And I know that's the same for the partners who aren't carrying. Yeah. You know, in my personal experience, my husband and I dealt with our grief so differently to the point where I actually felt quite sort of alone in those initial weeks and months following Mm -hmm. the loss and was really confused about how to locate him emotionally and eventually settle in and really talk about like what was going on and what were those, what, you know, amidst the shock, um, where were you and what were you thinking and what were you feeling? And he was able to articulate beautifully just how afraid he was and how scared he was. And I think, you know, it was about sort of like losing me potentially, which there was no threat of that. But I think just like it was so unexpected that this would happen as as it always is that I think his mind went to really dark places. Like, mm. what about you? And because, you know, we I was already a mother. Um, and so thinking about, you know, our son and our future and all of that. So. So he, you know, in retrospect, realizes that he kind of shut down based on the overwhelm uh, and the fear. I love that you also invited that dialogue because I think couples, and obviously I do a lot of relationship work and writing, and I remind our audience also that people, you and your partner can be on wildly different pages, not just about your next steps, but about processing what's happening in the moment. And as much as you can keep communication open. And if your partner says, it's just not the right, I don't want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we need to give the space to allow that and find other people such as yourself, a good counselor, (laughs) a supportive friend, a family member, a clergy member, whoever it is. Sometimes our partner can't be the person that's holding us while while they're going through their own grief process. Um, And I think that's really, really hard to remember because you, you want to, you're sharing this devastation and you truly want to share it, but you might arrive at it very differently. For those suffering who have friends who maybe haven't gone through this or don't really understand or haven't gone through, you know, I think loss at any time is heartbreaking. Loss after IVF and infertility sometimes has another layer because you get billed for, you know, $20,000 after you've lost. For people who give well-meaning, but really kind of tone-deaf advice, like at least you got (laughs) pregnant or it must have been meant to be, how do you suggest people respond to that? I mean, you could punch them in the face, but that means... (laughs) Everybody, (laughs) we all have thought of that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, so yeah, I think this is a important question and everybody struggles to know, you know, what to say. And I, I like to begin with what not to say. So Mm -hmm. saying something like, at least, you know, you can get pregnant. That's just a no, no. And at least you're young. At least you have a healthy child. At least you have a thriving career. (laughs) God has a plan. Everything happens for a reason. I think that people are so uncomfortable in the realm of grief, particularly when they did not know a person, this, you know, potential person. And so they rely on these platitudes that are incredibly harmful. And so it's just too minimizing to say Mm -hmm. something like, at least, you know, you can get pregnant because if that person has not maintained a healthy pregnancy, like what does it matter that they can get pregnant? I mean, and, and so it just like, it can, 
invoke so much anger and resentment and can really drive a wedge in relationships. Mm -hmm. So alternatively, meeting people where they are and simply saying, I'm deeply sorry for your loss and I'm here for you is really the most vulnerable way to go. And to sort of embrace empathy and also to not project because Mm -hmm. one person's heartbreak may be another person's hiccup. So, you know, some people who have a chemical pregnancy are not devastated and others are. Mm -hmm. And so we ask, how are you doing? Instead of saying, I can't imagine going through that. What, you know, I would die if I went through that. Well, that's not helpful. So it's really, and I, and I like to drive home this point as well try to be consistent because oftentimes right after the loss, our friends are there. And then within a month, they're nowhere to be found because of course, everybody has their own stuff going on, but it's not hard to consistently text someone just saying, I'm here. If you want to talk, I'm thinking about you. Yeah. 100%. We we tend to think in terms of all or nothing when it comes to support yeah. and a simple text to say, I'm thinking about you. We all know how, how far that goes in terms of us f- receiving the love. And exactly. I just think for so yeah. many people, yes, yeah, so many people lose that. Yeah. And because we don't know, you know, there's so much adrenaline after the birth of a baby or expelling um, a fetus, you know, so it's like, you may not actually start to feel for a month, maybe two, maybe three, maybe it's devastating when you get your period, because you're no longer pregnant. And this signals that your body is back to, you know, being ready to get pregnant or not or whatever. So we just can't assume when grief settles in or when grief spikes. And I think that to be a good friend through it all um, really serves us and to to not rely on these kind of antiquated ways of thinking and, and things that we say um, can be so much more loving. Absolutely. I think for listeners who haven't experienced a miscarriage, you know someone who has or will. Um, so this this is universal advice actually for all kinds of grief, not just pregnancy loss, but certainly we're, we're doing this episode in honor of uh, pregnancy and infant loss awareness. So just a note for anyone listening to really remember the simple advice that less is more. And just to say, I'm sorry, I'm here is a beautiful message. Pregnancy loss is just so misunderstood. A lot of people blame themselves. I shouldn't have yeah. taken a run, right? I shouldn't have had that glass of wine. I shouldn't have, they go on and on and on. And I think should is as dangerous a word as at least to your point before. (laughs) Should just, there's all kinds of shame with should. What are some of the common reasons for miscarriage and how do you respond to people who kick themselves? Mm, Right. So a majority of people, as you say, the research has found that a majority of people feel a sense of shame, self-blame and guilt following loss. And yet... The research also shows that 80% of miscarriages are chromosomally related. 80%. Huge. Huge. And and then, you know, the 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 other 20% may be, you know, related to something going on in the woman's body, maybe something to do with sperm, maybe something to do with these other factors. Um what they have not found 
is that any of the things that most people, most women are projecting, you know, onto themselves as being reasons why they lost this pregnancy, none of those things have been found to be true. So is it because I exercised, I didn't exercise, I ate too much, I didn't eat enough, I had sex, I sipped wine, I did drugs before I knew I was pregnant, mm-hmm. whatever. There's just no scientific evidence to support any of that. So I find it really troubling that women are turning these very difficult situations onto themselves and almost worsening the pain by saying, it must have been something that I've done. So I think that this unfortunately applies in the women's health realm more broadly, that women are sort of, we're kind of taught to blame ourselves and search for reasons of ways we could have done something better. I also think, though, that for some people, it's they want so badly to feel in control that perhaps if they figure out what they did wrong in this pregnancy, they can right that wrong in the subsequent pregnancy, which they'll learn, unfortunately, just isn't the case. Like by not eating that sandwich, it's not going to prevent another miscarriage. I uh, had that I had that experience, <laughs> and I'm so glad oh. you brought that up because I, both times I lost a pregnancy... I I went on a plane um and I and right after the plane ride I learned that I would lose a pregnancy. And so I was convinced and doctors kept telling me there's really no study that shows flying, you know, that there's any correlation. But I was convinced. So during an IVF transfer years later with a beautiful looking embryo eating all the pineapples and doing all the rituals that people tell yeah. you to do, I took a over 10 hour train ride back from Toronto to New York. So I did the transfer at that time in Toronto Mm. and I did this huge train ride. So I wouldn't step foot on a plane. And when that one failed, it proved exactly what you're saying. And I think the Mm. hardest part of loss is the lack of control. How, truly? how did you manage, or maybe sometimes you didn't, but how, how did you, or what do you suggest to others who get pregnant again and then are holding their breath the entire pregnancy? Yeah. So that was part of what was really difficult in my situation as well, because my age was not on my side and it was sort of like, if we wanted to do this again, we needed to do it quickly. And so, uh, you know, we were still sort of processing the grief and the loss and how it affected our relationship. And yet, because we wanted to grow our family, we got right back into it rather quickly. And I got pregnant straight away. And I understand why I did that. I have, you know, self-compassion for why I pushed myself to do it so quickly. And yet, it was kind of horrible, honestly. I actually enjoy pregnancy. It was very difficult to enjoy pregnancy, obviously. Every time I went to the bathroom, I looked for blood for nine months straight. And yeah, I mean, when we got the results of the chromosomal testing and that this one was healthy since the other one wasn't, I definitely felt a sense of like a sigh of relief, like that I could actually trust this a little bit more. But truly until my daughter was like crying in my arms and even I don't know, for months after that, I I couldn't really believe that everything was going to be okay. So it's so, so common. Is it worth people just truly trying to take it day by day when they're pregnant after loss? Do you have any other suggestions on how to cope? (laughs) 
Yeah, I think that, you know, what I often tell my patients who are, again, you know, we're, we're always like sort of wanting to project out into the future, like, well, what if at the next ultrasound, there's no heartbeat? And so what I tell people, and I think it's really the only way that we can get through such a long experience if, if the pregnancy is full term, is to remember, like, right now, in this moment, I am pregnant right now in this moment, I'm pregnant. We, that's all we have anyway. I mean, in, yes. in life in general, right now I'm breathing. That's all we know right now. And really, yes, to take it, it's a, it's so day by day and trying to anticipate doesn't protect us from what may or may not happen. So, you know, what, what would I do if, what if I go to the next ultrasound and this, or what if we find out that, well, you can come up with all of those answers and you can do a lot of research, but it, it will not protect you from the pain you might feel if something goes wrong. I want to repeat that because I just think that's, it's so poignant and true and helpful that trying to anticipate what may happen will not protect you. It's a very powerful thought and it's a very important reminder. There's this very difficult challenge all of us navigating infertility have, which is letting go, um, mm. knowing that we can only control so much. And it's, it's hard. It, it challenges us. It challenges our relationships. It challenges our relationship to our bodies. Can we talk yes. a little bit about that? Yes. Um, how did that change for you and, and the people you see in your practice? Well, interestingly, my miscarriage, once I found out within, I think, 10 days or 12 days that there was something chromosomally wrong with that daughter, I actually felt like my miscarriage was a healthy sort of outcome of this pregnancy. And so I, I didn't go through these feelings of hating my body or blaming myself or feeling ashamed of my loss. If anything, I, I mean, I wondered why did the, why did my body hold on to the pregnancy for 16 weeks? It would have, you know, been less, uh, traumatic, I think if it had ended sooner, but it didn't. Uh, yeah. So, but it's, it's hard, uh, to feel like we can trust ourselves you know, after we go through something like this. We talk about relationships all the time, relationships with others, but the relationship to ourselves and yeah. our sense of being women and, <laughs> you know, doing right. what's supposed to be so natural and right. it not working. We can have a lot of negative feelings towards, I imagine, our bodies and not, not helpful ones. It's so true. And I think, though, it goes back to what we were talking about with this lack of control. I think we think that if, let's say, we hate on our bodies enough, that somehow that'll make them do the right thing. And it's a very confusing psychological uh, twist because that's not going to work. So just like trying to anticipate something bad happening, that just robs us of our current joy or that just robs us of hope. That just robs us of being in the moment, which it's natural and normal. But if we spend too much time there, um, our anxiety levels will will kind of eat us alive, right? So mm -hmm. what if my body did nothing wrong? What if I continued to look in the mirror and love my body, even if it didn't do something I, I wanted it to do? Or, you know, what if I love this vessel, even if I learned that it can't bring a baby into the world like I thought 
it would be able to, you know, really trying to work with these very sort of elemental, basic notions of like, our bodies are not only here to make babies, and we need to love them regardless, without a lot of pressure. Like, it doesn't mean mm-hmm. we have to, you know, <laughs> love them every day or think, you know, we're beautiful if we don't feel we're beautiful. But I mean, just being self-loving or kind or compassionate takes us a long way, I think. Absolutely. So let's talk about your I had a miscarriage hashtag and what happened. When did this start and what happened since? My loss happened on October 11th, 2012, which was the first annual day of the girl. The, Mm -hmm. The United Nations like deemed that the first annual day of the girl. And I lost my girl on that day. So that became very symbolic and, and crazily like meaningful to me. Um, as the years went on. And so with that, I don't know, I just, there was so much like energy in me after my loss. I mean, obviously not right away, but this like fire lit in me around needing to be someone who was changing this cultural conversation or lack of it. And I just refuse (laughs) to allow people to keep blaming themselves for things they had no hand in. And that's why I also don't think God has a hand in these things, but that's a whole other conversation. So I decided to pitch the New York Times for October 15th, 2014. My daughter had been born. So I was sort of on the other side of my pregnancies and, you know, pregnancy life. Uh, So maybe that's partly why I felt even more comfortable sort of embodying this conversation in such a fierce way. Yeah. And so I decided I wanted it to be like a photo of me where you couldn't see me, but just, you know, my hands holding a sign that said I had a miscarriage. And really the, the effort there, the hope there was to normalize this conversation and to say, I had a miscarriage and I have no shame about this. Mm. And hopefully you don't either. And if you do, let's question it together. So it was really like trying to spark a global conversation about something we deserve to talk more about. And really, honestly, at that time, I had no idea I was actually starting a campaign. I just was writing this piece, but then it sort of took off. And so in all the subsequent years, I started adding to the campaign. So in 2015, I created a line of pregnancy and infant loss cards uh, and on and on from there. And I got on Instagram and just started, you know, having this raw, candid conversation and people flocked to it because no one wants to be isolated. Nobody. Community is everything during this kind of challenge. What do you have coming up? I know you have a book coming out, which is so exciting. So can you tell us about that? Sure. Yes. My book, I Had a Miscarriage, A Memoir, A Movement is coming out through Feminist Press in March 2021. And I'll believe it when I see it. (laughs) I I do have galleys, so I know it's real, but it doesn't doesn't (laughs) feel real. So yeah, I mean, it's really sort of a mix of it opens with my story and the intense detail. And then though, you know, I get into the complexity of being a psychologist, working with people going through similar things and how it changed my work. And, um, it illuminates 
so much of the complexity of what people feel in the aftermath of loss and navigating this space. So it's, they're not, I don't include, of course, real patients, but they're, the book includes a lot of other stories in addition to my own. Wonderful. I, I'm excited to read that. I think you're, you're such a gift to oh. this community with your advocacy, your voice, your support, your insight. Um, it's truly so valuable. And all listeners should definitely follow you at I Had a Miscarriage. Is that, I mean, your name is Dr. Jessica Zucker, but is your, um, what's your, um, how yeah, can the, they find you? The Instagram <laughs> is I Had a Miscarriage. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. So on yeah. Instagram and I look forward to keeping connected to you. This is never going to go away, sadly. So That's there's great. a lot more work to be done, but thank you so much for, for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. And now I am so happy to share this beautiful, haunting, poignant song from Canadian-born singer-songwriter Andrea England. Her song about pregnancy loss was created and inspired from her own experience. In her words, she said, I was grappling with feelings of loss, both of mine and that of those around me, and struggling with, in particular, unexpected loss. And I think you'll agree that this song really honors deep feelings we feel even when we've lost that we don't forget. So here it is. I won't forget about you. I keep your picture in a book beside my bed With a letter that I know I cannot send I get sentimental now and then So I won't forget about you I keep a locket on a string around my neck With nothing in it but the one I don't have yet You can't live your life But I can't forget about you I didn't know it at the time But for a moment you were mine You don't know what you got until it's gone And I lost you while I was writing you a love song The little things mean everything, yes they do And what you don't see can put an end to you I don't know what this world is coming to When the sweetest hearts are beating black Tell myself that what
Listening to today's really touching, to for me, very insightful episode with Dr. Jessica Zucker, Andrea England's beautiful song in honor of Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. If you haven't already subscribed, be sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, we've just launched a new season, so stay tuned. Every two weeks, we're going to share a new, incredible episode right here. See you again soon.